0: Welcome to Business Steps Up, a presentation of H-I-A-L-I, one of the recognized voices in Long Island business. We'll focus on cutting-edge topics important to the Bi-County region and beyond. So sit back, relax, and listen to some of Long Island's most influential business leaders here on Business Steps Up.
1: Welcome everyone to the H-I-A-L-I Business Steps Up. I hope, first of all, you are all staying healthy and Long Island strong through this. You know, it was amazing because I remember that we went remote probably about March 19th. Feels a few years ago, but it was only a few months ago. And, you know, as a result, we've seen not only from all of you, our members, but the community at large, such a stepping up to the plate, such a uh, ability to be able to help each other out and give guidance where guidance is needed. And certainly many of the manufacturing companies that we represent have been able to give it and really look at manufacturing um, in terms of offering PPE and that type of equipment. So we began to do this segment, uh, Business Steps Up, as something that was in our HIALI reporter and some um, online things, and then we decided to keep it live. So here we are, delighted to have with us the CEO of um, Island Harvest, Randy Dreschner, has been a long time H I A O I member and a long time helping the community out. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. And also the CEO of Walker Shortbread, Mark Klein. Walker Shortbread, Mark, my favorite cookie. Just so you know. Thanks so much, here at the Holidays, and, and I happen I- to live next door to Joe Gattalotta. So you know, I don't know. Oh, really? Is. Wonderful. So I hear a lot about Walker Shortbread, which is great. That's great. great. Delighted to have you both. And, you you know, this came about because there's such a strong partnership here with um, Mark really giving about $100,000 worth of baked goods to Long Island Harvest at a time when obviously they needed it most. So we'll talk about that. But I'd like to back up a few steps. Mark, I'm going to start with you. And for the audience, tell them about Walker Shortbread, how it began and what its history looks like.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and for having us on this talk and uh, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, happy Merry Christmas to uh, everyone. Uh, Walkers is a uh, 122 year old family business into its fourth generation. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are based in the highlands of Scotland in a town called Abelauer, where we make the world's finest shortbread. Shortbread is a uh, Scottish thing. Uh, and uh, sort of the secret sauce is uh, the water from the River Bay and uh, the creamery butter that is sort of unlike any butter that uh, one might find uh, locally. Uh, and, uh, and expertise and climate and a number of factors that result in just incredible cookies and shortbread and all of our products are made in Scotland. And we've been quite successful at developing the brand and, and selling them in the United States
1: and they're still made in Scotland yes
0: they are all still made in Scotland
1: and now we know the secret sauce so we'll be able to duplicate that right so so interesting Um, I know you formed this partnership with your business and obviously Long Island Cares I don't want to steal your thunder but tell us a little bit about it because it was a really great example of stepping up to the plate how did the idea come to you and what happened next
0: well Certainly, we believe in the work that's being done and we're very well aware of the the difficulties that are taking place uh, in our communities across Long Island. Uh, Food insecurity was a huge problem before the pandemic and now with COVID on the horizon, uh, it's um, heartbreaking. Um, As Randy knows, I was touched by a a TV uh, news interview on News 12 Long Island where a a young mom uh, who had lost her job and her husband had lost her job uh, was being interviewed in front of Island Harvest and said, look, uh, I haven't visited um, Island Harvest before. However, I've got kids to feed and there's no shame in feeding your kids. So this is sort of what we have to do. And, and it's heartbreaking. And, you know, the number of families and young families and children that are being impacted by food insecurity uh, always, but particularly now, is unfathomable. And I'm sure Randy's more aware of the statistics than I am, but it, um, it is surprisingly a, a large number of, of people. And I, I feel a personal responsibility to be helpful in that. And I know all of my colleagues at Walker's do as well. And I hope that uh, we can sort of sensitize the rest of our community to participating.
1: So you picked up the phone. Yes. Is that what you did? You picked up the phone and called Randy and said, let's do this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Again, a great example of just getting fully involved and stepping up to the plate. So, so Mark, in that, And we'll talk to Randy in a moment about what that looks like and, yes, what's been going on through COVID. But in that, why do you find it so important for us to continue to have those corporate nonprofit partnerships as we move forward?
0: Well, certainly uh, critically important, and, and these sorts of partnerships are growing, both uh, sort of conventional, you know, business to nonprofit partnerships, but even the advent of B corporations uh, that have dual uh, dual mandates in terms of delivering social benefit and uh, economic benefit to shareholders. So uh, we are not a B corporation, but it's something that I'm very interested in personally, and and um, if one if people aren 't aware of b corps uh, they 're worth learning about because uh, they really uh, help employees feel great about what uh, the work of the companies are, and they do good in communities and so
1: yeah I mean I will tell you that 's one of the things that we 've seen through this with our member organizations is um, a, a real heightened ability to collaborate, and some of them have formed b corps absolutely but a real heightened, let's collaborate on this. People who we found were um, some, somehow competitors and or sometimes arch rivals have said to themselves, hey, let's get together and let's do this. So I think certainly it's created an opportunity. So Randy, for you, I'm going to back up a few steps as well. Tell us about Island Harvest. I know you've been doing this for over 40 years. So talk about the organization and all the good work that you do you. Uh,
2: thanks for having Island Harvest uh, here a part of this and for allowing Mark and I to have yet another conversation about, um, about giving back. You know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about Island Harvest. I also want to touch on that uh, nonprofit uh, corporate partnership. I think it's really important to speak about that. So um, Island Harvest is a food bank. Uh, we've been around for a very long time and started as a, what's called a food rescue organization, uh, an organization that was picking up and immediately delivering prepared perishable food. Um, our founder uh, was in Rockville Center, had gone into a 7-Eleven at the end of the day and had found that a lot of uh, the food from the day was being thrown out. And um, quite honestly, she knew that there was need even back at that time. Um, so she left, she did a lot of research and she went back and talked to the manager and offered to work with him if he would allow her to pick up that food and deliver it. Um, He was hesitant and he was nervous, wondered if somebody got sick, what the legal uh, liability he he might have. And so, you know, back then at that time, and even still now there are laws that protect people that give food in good faith and that practice the the cold chain um, and properly move food uh, uh, along. Um, So we moved from those days of picking up chicken salad sandwiches um, Mm -hmm. and sort of morphed into becoming, uh, honestly, uh, Long Island's largest hungry leaf organization. Uh, We are um, moving palletized packages of food, if you will, um, incoming and outgoing. Um, In all, at this point, we're distributing well over 13 14 million pounds of food a year which represents millions and millions and millions of uh, meals for people who are hungry. Um, But we've actually come to recognize many years ago that we're never going to end hunger by giving somebody a can of food. Um, uh, Father Tom uh, Hartman was the chairman of the board and who he hired me um, some 20 years ago and Uh, Father Tom used to talk to me about the parable of you give a man a a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And that was important to me and to our board and our organization. And so we took that to heart. And uh, over the years, really adapted our organization to make sure that we weren't just giving somebody a, a fish or a can of food, if you will, And so we've developed a lot of programs which make for a a holistic uh, representation of a way to end hunger on Long Island. And so on our staff, we have a full team of dieticians, for example, who help us make decisions about foods that we're procuring, whether we're buying it or it's becoming donated um, and helping us to make decisions whether we should accept that food or not. Um, And so... We're no longer collecting truckloads of bagels, for example, and there's nothing wrong with bagels, but it depends on how many bagels you're taking in. Um, we don't take candy, we don't take soda. Um, and so we've really refined the type of food that we're um, accepting and then what we're distributing. Um, our dietitians also help us with um, helping our clients and people in the community understand about the health benefits of the food that we're distributing. And so uh, my best example of that is a number of years ago, we'd gotten a couple of tractor trailer loads of um, powdered milk. And so in the beginning, it was okay, we, it was easy to give out the powdered milk, but uh, in time, everybody was saying, that's it, you know, there's just so much milk we could make with that. Um, and so they weren't accepting it. Uh, but our dietitians created a cookbook um, to go with the powdered milk to give them all sorts of recipes and included in those recipes was making play-doh or something like play-doh out of the powdered milk and so all of a sudden we didn't have enough powdered milk to go around Um, and so when we give out product that's not as common uh, edamame or uh, uh, okra or certain kinds of meats or whatever it may be uh, we couple that with recipes and nutrition information to help people so that they will take the food in and experiment a little bit. Wow. What a great, what, what a great thing, because as you said, you're
1: teaching them how to live actually, right? And how to cook and how to use it all. That's delightful. So more important than ever for that, as you said before, you want to talk about that corporate uh, nonprofit connection and partnership. So why do you feel it's so important and why
2: particularly so important now? Well, first, I want to say that um, I think there's a misnomer about what a nonprofit organization is. And I'm not sure who a thousand years ago came up with the term nonprofit, but the truth of the matter is that we're really the same as Mark's company um, because it's important for us at the end of the year to have a profit. The difference with our kind of organization is that the funds at the end of the year go back to support the mission. Um, of the organization. And so in effect, instead of going to shareholders, it would go to stakeholders, uh, people in the community. Um, and so that's on the fund side of it. Um, on the business side of it, uh, if you uh, sliced open our organization, took away the name, you may not know what kind of a company it is. I have a finance, uh, chief financial officer. I have uh, all t- types of people in my business and our business as would be in a a typical business. Um, And quite frankly, if we don't run our nonprofit like a business, we're not going to survive, particularly in this kind of a climate. Um, And to Mark's point about B Corps and social enterprise, which is really what he's speaking about, um, we love working with companies that understand the benefits of giving back to the community. Uh, There are tax benefits for giving back to the community. There's no question about it. But there are benefits that go far broader than that. Um, what we find very often in the community are that it's employees of a food company that would call us and beg us to come in and, and rescue the food because they're the ones throwing the food away. And it's very upsetting to somebody to throw away a pallet of beef or dairy or whatever it might be. And in a, in a corporate partnership like we have with Mark, um, employees benefit from understanding the culture of the company. Um, when, the, when the culture of a company is to give back and to support the community, who are your customers and your employees, um, then it's a, good, it's a good environment. And it's an environment that's welcoming for uh, new people to become involved with your company. Yeah
1: and I and I will say Randy uh, you, as you know the HIALI just formed the social responsibility committee to your credit you have several employees on it so thank okay. you for that yes. but it's the major reason why we did that because yeah. what we find is that particularly in today's day and as we move forward and bring on young professionals as well right it's really important to have some sort of so- social and corporate responsibility program in place for corporations? Because it's so much more than, quite frankly, just a paycheck.
2: It's you know, so Terry, more- I, I think you hit on it. Um, my my two kids are in their late, uh, mid to late 20s. When they are interviewing in, in, in jobs in companies, um, they're actually asking about the culture of the company and the social responsibilities of a company. And so to your credit, I think you're right. This is, we need to be perpetuating that and helping and supporting um, the next generation as they're getting involved in business. Um, yeah. And so I think it's great. And I'm glad that there are lots of companies that are getting involved with it.
1: Yeah. So Mark, talk to us a little bit about that. How do you, how do you get your employees involved in that sense of, social responsibility right now?
0: Well, we try to get excited about what we're doing with Island Harvest, for example. But what we do know is that purpose is really important to employees, and particularly millennials, but but all employees. Uh, They want to know that uh, the organization that they spend much of their waking hours contributing to is doing good in the community and doing good for people. And uh, for some, Uh, Profit is sort of a byproduct of doing the right things, both in business and and socially. So it's sort of a responsibility to do these sorts of things and not uh, sort of something that you do just uh, on a whim.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So has that changed, by the way, through COVID? I'm just curious. Do you find that um, more people have that sense of I need to give back through this or what have you found?
0: Well, I think it's more difficult to execute during COVID because, you know, just keeping employees safe and keeping the supply chain uh, open is a, a challenge. You know, our number one priority right now is, is just keeping employees safe as COVID continues to spike uh, across the country. Uh, so not, not so easy to sort of get out and, and, and be as active socially as we'd like to be.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting you say that. My son, who I told you before, is 14, is a Boy Scout. And as part of what they need to do, they have to go out right now and volunteer. And that was my first thought when he came home. Gee, I wonder how we're going to do this now. (laughs) Right? Because um, it was easier, at least in the past, with the social contact piece. Randy, what, what are you finding through COVID? What have you seen in the organization? And I I asked you also, I know before we got on air, you talked about, I think a very critical piece to this, which is there are people who are food deprived right now who have never in their life been in this situation, right? So I know the dynamic has changed considerably, but what have you seen?
2: Well, first on the volunteer side, um, we made some pretty um, difficult decisions early on. Uh, So March 9th, we opened up our emergency resource center and completely pivoted 100% of our organization to be fully responsive uh, to COVID-19. And so our business model completely changed. We went to um, a complete purchasing model of securing the food, procuring the food, and that was a big change. And then we needed to look at how we were distributing the food and how were we protecting our assets. And for us, uh, our assets are threefold, Um, our staff, our food and our volunteer core, um, and so we stopped allowing volunteers to come in. Um, we uh, shut down um, uh, access to our warehouses because at the time nobody really knew if uh, how it was uh, how COVID was passed along, and we wouldn't want anybody to worry about the food itself. And then we started to separate the way we handled our staff, um, but the volunteer component was something that was. Um, Uh, most important to us because we depend so heavily on volunteers. And we had just as many corporations tell us that they couldn't allow their employees to come out and volunteer as we had new companies reaching out to us to inquire if we've come up with some COVID safe ways for employees to get involved. We also had a tremendous amount of people who were furloughed Um, who wanted to do something. And so we came up with a couple of, a lot of ways to engage volunteers in a very, very safe way. Um, And we have since had well over a thousand events in the community. We have depended heavily on volunteers. We have registered well over 2000 new volunteers since March um, to add to our 14,000 volunteers who are registered with Island Harvest. And so we've been able to employ volunteers Uh, actively uh, but safely. Some of them are delivering food independently. Um, Some of them are helping us at our distribution events. Uh, Some are helping at our warehouse, but we set up a new facility outside, um, and so that it's safe. And so we've been able to pivot in that way also and found so many great people coming to us who really wanted to help. And the common phrase is, I've always been looking for a time to volunteer, and I'm using this time to do that. Yeah. Well, good for you.
1: I mean, it's about leadership and pivoting. Absolutely. And that's a great example of that. So, Randy, what have you seen in terms of need through COVID? I know it's increased, obviously, but.
2: Yeah. So um, I, I guess that's obvious, but the numbers are, are pretty telling. Um, we have increased the number of people we've been supporting and helping in the community by 100%, Terry hundred percent. We have been helped. We have helped at this point well over four hundred thousand families, not individuals. Families. So you multiply how many people are in a household, right. and that'll tell you how many people we've been helping. Um, we increased our purchasing by well over five hundred percent in the early stages of COVID response. Uh, we've done a thousand distribution events across Long Island. Um, And our distribution is up by 50% 50 at some time, sometimes higher. Um, And so the need is great. And we think about it in terms of sort of three different groups of people. Uh, We certainly have people who have come to the food bank before uh, for assistance. Um, They've been struggling and have depended on uh, food that we've been able to distribute. And so we're happy to help them and continue to help them. We have another group of people in the middle who were always kind of living on the edge, but making it, uh, but always living on the edge. Many of them were furloughed or let go uh, or their hours were cut back drastically um, and they literally fell over the cliff. And so we are now helping and supporting them. And then there's this whole other group of people who were contributors and supporters of our food bank Um, uh, professionals, people who are on Wall Street, physicians, business people um, in all different industries who are on our food lines now. And and the one phrase that I say at every event that we're doing, uh, we gather our volunteers together and say to them, listen, at this event, you're going to see Jaguars, BMWs, and Mercedes pulling up alongside the Chevys, Fords, and Mazdas. But we treat everybody the same with respect as if it was us on that line because we don't know what brought them to this food line other than COVID. And um, we would expect no less. And so um, every time I give that presentation or my team does, the volunteers kind of giggle the new ones because they don't know what we're really talking about until they see all of those vehicles pulling up and they come up to us afterwards and they say, we get it now. We understand what you're talking about. Um, So this is a whole new world for all of us to be in. Uh, We're glad to be on the solution side, really helping and and having an impact. And quite frankly, having partners like Mark and like you, Terry, so that we can make sure that we're out there uh, working with the right people to support our community.
1: Yeah. Well, we're grateful, very grateful for the services that you offer. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. We have, it looks like about five minutes left. So Um, And just talk a little bit about leadership through this, because one of the things as we talk to our member organizations that I hear over and over again is, again, our ability or looking at it as an opportunity to say, we know we had to pivot. Um, We know we had to do some things in our organization. Let's do them. Let's just get to it, hunker down and do them. So what are you seeing happen or what did you see happen, Mark? And how did you change gears inside your organization as you went through COVID?
0: Well, look, uh, obviously there's, uh, there's a real sense of urgency both to protect in- employees and protect the business. Uh, we see, you know, the sands shifting very, very rapidly in terms of our customer base. Uh, uh, as Randy said, early on in the pandemic, we weren't sure where um, infections were coming from, so that is pretty confusing. So we were sort of racking our, our, uh, our brains around, are we doing the right things? We're f- following CDC standards, but people in our supply chain are getting sick. What are we doing wrong? And where mm-hmm. is the infection coming from? And um, where's the root cause? So uh, that clearly caused a, a very rapid shift in priorities, for us. And, um, and planning becomes much more difficult because you're not in a steady state environment. Planning and forecasting and, and determining what the needs moving forward will be in an environment that's shifting very rapidly. And, uh, you know, in Ferrandi, I'm sure it's even more exacerbated by the fact that um, such a large portion of the population that uh, Island Harbor Services are children and um so it's just heartbreaking the emotional value and 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 the real impact uh, social impact and impact on families of um the very large number of children who are dramatically impacted by food insecurity uh is heartbreaking and causes a, a need to step up and and create awareness uh in in the community for uh more action
1: yeah and and uh you know, one of the things I saw is, you know, for many of us, we pride ourselves in leadership on, right, communicating. And you both gave examples of communicated outwardly and inwardly. Yet, as we went through this, many of us said, gee, I I probably need to get a lot closer to that, right? I probably need to do that more often or be more transparent or help them understand that social responsibility here is so important. So, Randy, for you, What did you see internally? Um,
2: You know, the truth of the matter is that um, we were all nervous uh, because there was so much uncertainty. uh, And the uncertainty was from a fiscal perspective for our own businesses, fiscally for our staff, employees, personally. about uh, their own health, the health of the community. Um, quite frankly, most of my staff, their families were begging them not to go to work because we were being exposed on a daily basis. I think for me, what I have to remember all the time as a leader is, um, you know, you know that expression, never let them see you sweat, right? Um, I was nervous too, but... Um, you can't bring that into the boardroom, if you will, to the staff uh, senior team table. Um, We need to be able to plan with an open mind and um, we need to do it clearly. Um, And there's a place for all of that um, nervousness and unknown, uh, but we got to kind of set it aside because we have to keep the vision moving forward, and it's a joint vision of everybody in the room, it's not just one person's vision, um, but it's important that all of us remind each other to stay on track, um, because the only other option is to get off the track, right. and that's just not an option.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, teamwork at its, be- at its best, right? I mean, just having each other's backs and really understanding. Yeah, absolutely. So um, some parting words of optimism from each of you as we move through the second wave. Mark, you want to start off?
0: Well, I, I think uh, there is cause to be optimistic uh, on the horizon, uh, and it can't get here soon enough. Uh, obviously, vaccines are um, on the horizon, uh, and um, some different uh, approaches to social responsibility are probably on the horizon as well. Um, I think there's also a responsibility to um, look at whole people. And um, optimism is super important. There's an anxiety pandemic taking place in conjunction with the uh, economic and and uh health pandemic so uh, creating optimism and and having things to look forward to and and sort of a brighter future for kids being back in school on a full-time basis people being back and fully engaged and employed uh people um, having enough to eat, certainly um, critically important. So uh, I, I expect and and, and uh, hope and pray that 2021 will be a much better year for our community and for all of us.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Thank you. How about you, Randy? I'm looking for a 2021 uh, that has uh, um, uh, eased up all of the intensity of 2020. Um You know, I'm uh, inspired by my staff, by our board, their guidance and support, um, and inspired by uh, all of the people who have stepped up and stood alongside Island Harvest uh, through all of these months. Um, And that's what keeps us going and looking forward to 2021. I'll be honest, uh, our work is not changing in 2021. We're expecting to be at this level uh, right through till 2022. Um, and so for us, this is the, the new island harvest. It's, I don't even use the term new normal. It's, there's no normal here, but um, this is our work. We're here. We're happy to be doing it. We're glad to be able to provide this kind of support um, and uh, looking for many more partnerships and leadership like Mark has shown um, because uh, we have a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah.
1: And I will say we're inspired by both of you, really, and the work that you're doing, um um, and i agree with you randy and mark i mean we we should be optimistic about the future you know all i want for christmas is a vaccine that's all i keep telling everybody right so um but we know we'll get through this we know we're long island strong and all of us will come out of it with some sort of normal what that looks like i'm not quite sure yet but we thank you thank you thank you for your services everybody have a wonderful holiday Happy Hanukkah again, and we'll see you at the next episode.
0: Business Steps Up is a production of H I A L I, one of the recognized voices for business on Long Island and a powerful voice and economic engine for regional development. Check back for more interesting, thought-provoking episodes with some of Long Island's most influential business leaders. For more information, call us at 631-543-5355 or log on to HIA-LI.org.